Morning. Thanks, Charity. That was beautiful. That's, that's convicting a little bit, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> hey, if you turn with Genesis uh, in your Bible, that'd be great. Genesis chapter 1. It's going to be pretty easy to find. It's a little difficult because it's after the, like the, not the concordance, but what's it called? The index and the, uh, the books. It's the first page, right? Genesis chapter 1. First book, first chapter, first verse is where we're going to be today. Um, listen, we're starting a, a series called Unavoidable, Believing the Gospel. And uh, as, we, as we've prepped about this and prayed about this and molded over and scratched it out and rewritten it, um, we've, we've fallen on nine sermons that are, are going to be pretty imperative, I believe, to, to the body, to the church, to you and I, for us to, to comprehend, to understand, to believe and embrace because it tells us the story of God. It tells us God's story and how God's story meets our story with Jesus. And it meets it for his glory. Um, you know, scripture, it's one of those nostalgic things sometimes. It's one of those, those things we look at and say, wow, this is really fun. I like to see the morality in it or the, the kind of discipline I can have with it. It's, it's really neat his history. It, it makes me think of my grandma when I read it. But, but we need to understand that this is the living, breathing word of God. And that God's living, breathing word impacts our life. And God's living, breathing word created us. And God's living, uh, breathing word came in the flesh in the form of Jesus to redeem us. And that it all is cohesive. And that the common thread from Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22 is Jesus Christ. That if you take Jesus Christ and pluck him out of the scriptures, you'd unravel the whole thing. Because he is preeminent. He is supreme he is sovereign, and that is what the scriptures are about. So today we embark on a nine-week journey, not to get an overall, uh, all-encompassing view of scripture or doctrine, but to really look at and analyze what is and what are those important high points of scripture that talk about Christ and that bring to fruition Christ in our hearts and our lives. So I hope you're excited about that. I'm certainly excited about that. Um, these, these are going to be great messages, great times together in the Word. One of the things that we talked about, and, and when I say we, uh, Hoyt and I collaborated on this together uh, with some input from other people as we prayed, um, and what, what we thought about doing is, is we really want us to understand Scripture, so we want you to have your Bible. And I know we didn't have a chance to really communicate that uh, well with being gone last week. Um, hopefully you brought your Bible to church. If you didn't, we ask you to bring, uh, to grab a Purack Bible and use that today. Uh, we, we are going to put a few Scriptures on the slide, ones that I'm going to bust through. But the other ones, I, I want us to actually open in your Bible, read in your Bible, underline in your Bible if you want to, highlight in your Bible if you want to, circle, whatever you need to do in your Bible so you can see it, you can read it, you can know where it is, why it's there, and then go back to it and, and, and understand it. this is what I'm, I'm reading. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I have a favorite Bible, and it's, it's not just the Bible, right? The Bible is my favorite. But this certain Bible I've had for many, many years, and I've read it a lot of times, and I've circled a lot of things and highlighted a lot of things. And when a verse comes to mind for me, it doesn't look like what's on the screen. It looks like a certain page in my Bible, in a certain position on the page, in a certain column, and I know exactly where it is, so when I flip there, I can find it. Now with my new Bible, I'm lost again. But, but either way, for you and I to just rely on the screen is not for us to dig in and memorize and put this into our heart as, as, as well. Not that the screen's bad, we're going to use it still, but I really want us to go into Scripture. So if you didn't bring your Bible this week, next week, bring your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible this week, your sermon notes have all the references I'm using. Go and look them up, read them, underline them, highlight them, circle them in your Bible when you get home. Uh, check it out. Again, tonight, we're starting a Sunday night 
uh, Bible study that's going to be talking about the sermon uh, series. So our topic today, we'll go into more detail, into more depth, uh, and I think you're going, to be, you're going to be wanting that after today, but you go into more depth uh, this evening at 6 o'clock here at the church. Now, there's a Wild Adventure Camp parent meeting here, and there's a, a youth event happening here tonight in, in this part of the building. So we're going to be in the, other, in the education wing. Uh, in the end of the hallway there, we'll set up a lot of chairs in there. And if we overflow and spill out into the, into the hallway, we'll do that, and we'll just have a good time together, okay? But I'd love for you to be there and, uh, and ask questions and go deeper. should be a great, uh, a great time just to, to dive deep into God's Word and, and, and look at what is unavoidable, things we should not be avoiding as Christians, and things that people who want to come to Christ cannot avoid. These are, these are closed-hand things that we're talking about over the next nine weeks, okay? So let's pray. We'll get prayed up, and we'll get to work, okay? Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to, to be here, to, to look into your word, to dive in, to unpack it, and, and to understand you more and more fully. And God, we know and we realize we, we can't totally understand God. But we want to know you. We want to know what you've revealed about yourself to us so we can be conformed into your image, into your likeness. We invite your spirit to be here. Convince us of truth. Convict us of, of wrongdoing. Move us more into your will. And we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, so we should be in Genesis chapter 1. If you would read along with me, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump down to 26 and 27. I am reading out of the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible. It's HDSB. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite translations. I, I was a, a big-time NIV fan. Uh, just so you know, I'm, I know it's a segue. NIV... Uh, 1984 NIV, good stuff. After that, the NIV kind of got a little twisted in some places and, and weird. Uh, it's not, not fully reliable. Um, so the HDSB is kind of a, an NIV upgrade, um, and it, it's, it, they've done a great job of interpretation and, and extrapolating Scripture. It's a thought-for-thought thought translation, not a word-for-word word translation. Uh, a thought-for-thought thought translation gives us the, the thought of what Scripture is saying about this in the best way possible in our language today from the original manuscripts. A, a word-for-word word translation, which my favorite is the ESV, okay, so you'll probably see a lot of ESV and HCSB uh, in this next nine weeks, but the ESV is a word-for-word word translation, so uh, although very accurate, it gets a little clumsy once in a while just because uh, words are put in orders that we may not quite understand, so it's word-for-word word versus thought-for-thought, thought. all right? So I'm reading out of the HCSB, Genesis 1-1. Uh, through 3 and then 26 and 27. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the water, uh, watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. All right, we're going to skip down now to, uh, to verse 26. We're going to look at God's relationship to humankind. Now, the, the, the following verses were very important to creation and what happened at creation. Please study that on your own. Look at it. Uh, understand that. We're going down to verse 26 uh, where God starts to interact with humankind. And then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. 
Uh, pretty, pretty deep stuff that we could, we could extrapolate from this. Uh, we're going to look at a few things that, uh, that are unavoidable today. Um, a few things that are, uh, we're going to learn about the creator, about God the creator, that are unavoidable for us, okay? You ready to go with that? Okay, the first thing we learn, the first thing we learn about God as, as creator and as unavoidable is that God is God and more complex than we could ever imagine. God is God. And God is the God and more complex than we could ever, ever imagine. If you go back up to verse 1, it says, in the beginning, what? In the beginning, God. God was in the beginning. There's nothing else. It was in the beginning, God. And, and God took action. It was in the beginning, God. It doesn't say in the beginning, nothing made everything. It doesn't say in the beginning, uh, God and creation were one and happy in unity and, and, and that existed forever. It didn't say in the beginning several different gods throughout all of time and history got together and conglomerated on creation. It said in the beginning, God, large G, God, created the heavens and the earth. It was God. I want you to flip over to Isaiah in your Bibles. I know, take a minute, flip over to Isaiah. It's about in the middle. <clears throat> chapter 45, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18 is where we're going to be. Uh, building on this idea of God, who is this God? Uh, what do we need to learn about him? What do we need to know about him? That's different maybe from other gods that are in, in, in creation or in the world that people would worship. So in Isaiah chapter 45, and we're looking at verse 18, it says, For this is what the Lord says. And you notice there, Lord, in most translations, is capitalized, all caps, Lord. He says, God is the creator of the heavens. He formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty, but to be formed and to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Or I am Yahweh, and there is no other. He is the Lord. There's an interesting thing we've got to understand about Yahweh as we look at the Scripture. Uh, Yahweh is this, this preexistent, all-encompassing name of God that he gave to Moses. It's revealed in Scripture right here in the beginning. God, Yahweh God, Elo, I'm sorry, Elohim God, created in, in, in Isaiah we see Yahweh, the Lord, right? This all-encompassing, eternal God. And, and what we see is Yahweh is this, this self-existent one is what it means. He is the self-existent one. He establishes his name to Moses as, tell them, I am sent you. When they ask who sent you, say who? I am sent you, Yahweh sent you. He says, tell them that the self-existent one sent you. Okay, well, what does that mean? And the ones I'm going to bust through here, this is Revelation uh, 22. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Yahweh. This is what we're talking about. The Lord is, is way bigger than just, oh, oh God created. And, and some people like to put him in a box and say, well, a God created the heavens and the earth. Or a God took, took part in, in taking some things and putting them in motion. And, and then the rest of the creation did the, re did the work. We're, we're talking about the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We're talking about Yahweh. There is no Lord besides him, God. So if, for us to understand and, and, and believe and, and embrace the unavoidable, to embrace that the God of the universe is self-existent. He is, he is independent of everything else. He doesn't need anything else. He is Yahweh. He is I am. That is, he is eternal. He is infinite. He is uncaused. And he is independent. He is the self, 
existent one. Uh, Dr. John Piper made several uh, observations about this. I want to read a few of these. It says uh, that he, the name Yahweh, things the name Yahweh says about God. Okay, you ready? Here's some things that he says. You don't have to write these down if, unless you want to. He never had a beginning. He never had a beginning. Uh, every child asked, who made God? And every wise parent says, nobody made God. God simply is and always was. There's no beginning. Next he says, God will never end. God will never end. If he did not come into being, he cannot go out of being because he is being. God will never end. God is absolute reality. There is no reality before him. There is no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. He is all that was eternal. No space, no universe, no emptiness, only God. In the beginning, God. Next he says, God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being or support him or counsel him or make him what he is. He needs and wants and lacks for nothing. Next it says, everything that is not God depends totally on God. The entire universe is utterly secondary. It came into being by God and stays into being moment by moment on God's decision to keep it in being. This is the God we're talking about. Next, all the universe is by comparison to God as nothing. All of the universe, everything we see is, is by comparison to God, nothing. All that we are amazed by in the world and the galaxies is compared to God as nothing. Next, God is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved. Uh, he is not becoming anything. He, he is who he is. He is God. Finally, he says, God is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. There is no law book to which he looks uh, to know what is right and wrong, no almanac to establish facts, no, no guild to determine what is excellent or beautiful. He himself is the standard of what is right, what is true, and what is beautiful. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when it says heavens and earth, it says as far as, as the highest heights are and the, and the deepest depths are, I created it all. It's all my creation. And, and I want us to understand that, that in, in the fact that God is the God, and I said he is more complex than anything we can ever imagine, be okay with that. You know, I, I can't fully fathom and understand God in the way that he is described in Scripture, in the way he describes himself, and the way that we look at him today. We can't fully fathom God. Going on, he is, he is all-knowing. First John uh, chapter 3 tells us he is all-knowing. You know, he knows everything. Uh, in, in Jeremiah 23, 24, it says he is all-present. There's nowhere that's hidden from God. He is everywhere. And in Jeremiah 32, 17 and 27, it says that he is all-powerful. There's nothing, nothing that God cannot do or accomplish. That's our omnipotent, omniscience, omnipresent, right? Those big omni words we've heard before in Sunday school. I'm just saying it's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. That's who God is. And, and Isaiah 55, 9 says, his, high, his, his ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine, right? We can't fully understand God. How many of you are okay with that? Right? I don't, I don't like to raise my hand to that because I like to explain things. I like to be able to understand it fully and, and really comprehend what I'm getting into. I mean, I've said this many times. If, if I could explain God, if I could comprehend God, if I could define God, then that makes me God. He is undefinable. 
Now, there are things revealed about God in Scripture that we can understand and know and get a glimpse of and a picture of, but, but in its totality, until we are face-to-face with him, we will not be fully known or fully know, Corinthians says. We can't fully understand God. And I say that, uh, I've kind of interjected that, uh, that observation because the next thing I'm going to ponder and talk about is super complex. The fact that God is complex is huge, but, but God is Trinitarian in nature. That was a big word, Brandon. What does that mean? Well, Trinitarian, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinity, tri, triune. The Bible talks about God the Father. It talks about Jesus being God, and it talks about the Holy Spirit being God. I want to look through a few verses. I'm going to bust through these. Uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This word God is Elohim. It is the plural form of El, which is God. So it's the plural form of El, Elohim. It hints at more complexity here, right? Little, little, there's, there's more to God than meets the eye. Uh, going on from there uh, into, over here, uh, into Genesis 1.26. He said, or no, sorry, and, and in Genesis 1.2, and the Spirit of God. So we see God created, and then we see a hint of, and a glimmer of, and the Spirit of God was hovering. Okay, well, we have some pictures starting to form. In 26, it says, God said, let us... Make man in our image, in the image of God, according to our likeness, right? Who's our? This is, this is still hinting at there's, there's a plurality to God. Interesting. Then in John, we look at John 1 1, which says, In the beginning, this is verbiage John used that was from Scripture in, in Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, he wanted us to know the same thing, was the Word. And the Word was with God, okay, the plurality, and the Word was God. Oh, oh no, now we have a dilemma here, right? Can it be the same thing if they're different? And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is great. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Who are we talking about here? The Word became flesh. We're talking about Jesus, right? We became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from who? The Father full of grace and truth. And we see, and I didn't bring a verse up, but we see that at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus is the one and only son. He's God. He was with God in the beginning. He is God. Nothing was created without him. But now we see him in history as the incarnate flesh, right, deity God. And he's in the Jordan River. And John baptizes Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God. And when he baptizes him, what happens? We see the heavens open up and and a dove or the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. And the Father the same time say this is my son in whom I'm well pleased right, a glimpse of the trinity of God there's all of these aspects of God right there present at his baptism and, and I would argue and we've, we've seen here that there are all aspects of, of it were present at creation Genesis 1 26 then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness right and then Colossians sorry can we, can we have a Colossians verse can we go back there Colossians chapter 1, uh, if you pop, pull it up at school, uh, it says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. 
In Colossians, it says Jesus is that God. We see, we see Scripture presenting the three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together at times. They are not, it's not like, oh, there's the Father, and then the Father leaves and comes back as the Spirit, and then he leaves and comes back as Jesus. It's, not the, it's that they're all present at the same time, and we see Scripture say that, that, that he's, the Father's God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit, it, they are equally God. Here, here, there's a definition I want to give you, a definition of the Trinity. The Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relation with one another. Still want to put God in a box? Still want to try to explain God? It's hard, right? There, there's kind of three things about the Trinity I want to just give you right now. Three, three like little definition things to understand. Three truths that we know in Scripture. Number one, we know that there is only one God. It is so clear in the New Testament, it is so clear in the Old Testament, that there is only one God. There are several references to that. We'll hear more of those tonight. The next thing, the Father, Son, and Spirit are equally declared God throughout Scripture. We have kind of a conundrum. And, and this is the final truth. That this makes it even more complex. It is clear that they are not each other. They are not each other. Jesus prays to the Father, right? The, the, Jesus is baptized and the Father speaks and the, and the Holy Spirit comes, up, comes down upon the earth. God creates and the, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters, right? There's, there's this equality and there's this Godhead that is one but has three distinct persons. And, and by persons, we don't mean that they are humans. They're not all three people that are standing around. But by persons, they are, they are unique in trait. They are, they are personified as he. And they can, they can be spoken to and listened to. Right? This, is, this is who God is. He's triune. And we're going to dive way deeper into that tonight uh, if, we, if we try. But understand, we shouldn't be able to fully get this. We shouldn't be able to fully get this. We won't totally get it. So let's, let's move on. What, what else can we learn about God, the creator, that's unavoidable from our passages today? Can you go back to uh, Genesis 126 for me, David, please? It should be right before this one. Uh, what else we learn? Go, go back to Genesis 1, and, and in verse 3 it says uh, this. It says, let, then God said, let there be light. Let there be light. That's what God said. So something we can learn is this, that God creates with his word something from nothing. God creates with his word something from nothing. God said, let there be light. And, and we, we look in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. This word created, the Hebrew word is bara. It means that he created something from nothing. It means that nothing was there at one point, and then something was there. There's another Hebrew word that means I take something that is already there and create something out of it. Now, God also did that as he proceeded down the six days of creation. But when he initially created the heavens and the earth, God spoke them into existence from nothing. Outside of all time and space and reality and scientific law, God works. Amen? It's so great that he isn't constrained to the creation that he created. He can work outside of that, outside of time. 
outside of the laws of, of order, the laws he created. When God speaks, creation obeys. God's word is the source of life. God's word is the source of life. Turn to Hebrews with me, please. Flip over to Hebrews in the New Testament, kind of towards the back. It's uh, after all the letters, uh, before we get to Peter and John. I'm flipping with you, so we're all on the same page here, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, please. See, when God speaks, creation obeys. And, and for you and I, as, as people of faith, we embrace that, that that is true of who God is. That's true of God and the nature of God. We don't always understand it, but that's where our hope is. That's where our faith is. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about this faith. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 1 and 2. You ready? Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors were approved. Uh, in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible or not seen. See, God created with his word something from nothing. Uh, this is your good, good opportunity to grab your pen and underline that scripture. Because faith, faith for us is not a blind faith. We can't necessarily understand God totally or fully understand it, but, but this says the faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The reality of what is hoped for. Not just like, man, I really hope for it. See, at Christmas time, I really hope for things. That's not faith, right? Faith is the reality of things hoped for, the reality of things hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. See, God, God is in the business of convincing us and giving us the proof that is necessary, the reality that is necessary to have faith so that you and I can trust and know, yeah, I don't get it, but I've seen it and I know it. God created this from nothing. God did it. God is God. He is far bigger than I can ever imagine. God did this. It was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not seen. There's, a, there's an ongoing joke. We talk about this as part of the creator. God made from nothing. You know, people want to say, well, no, God, things were, here, here's the argument. And I, I say this a lot because I like to talk about uh, creation and evolution and science and things like that. The argument is, that, remember the turtles all the way back or, or chairs all the way back? It's like, if, if I really thought that something w was there and then it collided with something else and boom, there's something else was there, I asked the question, well, where did that something come from? And, and an atheistic scientist or evolutionary scientist would say, well, well, it came from other matter. It came from a, a universe that maybe existed before that. And it, it just keeps going back and back and back. And what, I, what it says, and, and one of the doctors in scientific reason and, and, uh, and theology says this, it's basically you have turtles all the way back. You can never explain what started the turtle, right, or what started the matter or whatever you want to call it. It's just matter or turtle all the way back. And what I reason with that and what you can reason is if it's turtles all the way back, there was no beginning, that means there was an infinite time period before right now. And if we can kind of fathom inf infinity, if we can kind of reason about infinity, what it means is this. If time is going infinitely backwards, right, there's back behind us, the time before today is infinite, 
That means there was no starting point. If there was no starting point, time could have never started, and we couldn't be here today. Because it hasn't happened. Because infinitely, we're still in the past. There was no, there's no beginning. But we see Genesis 1.1, John 1.1, in the beginning, God created from nothing something. And we see exactly what he created. It's you and I. And this is the beauty. This is the beauty in Scripture. The beauty of God's creation. The beauty of, of, of having a God that is so much larger than life. Because with that, we can understand and reason. There's proof of why we're here today. In the beginning, God. There's a joke that's gone around, and I've told it before. Uh, scientists had come to the point where they thought, hey, you know what? We don't even need God anymore. We, we can split the atom. We can, we can uh, clone people. We can create people out of Petri dishes. We don't need God anymore. So they, so they elected one of their scientists. Go, well, you, you're the one. Go tell, go tell God that. So he goes to God and says, God, listen, we don't need you anymore. We've figured it out. We, we've got it all under control. Thanks, but you can head on back to another cosmos, wherever you want to go. And God kind of chuckled. Okay, well, let, if you're still good at this, let's have a, let's have a people-making contest. He goes, oh, piece of cake. Sounds good. Let's get, let me get my gear. And he brings it over, and he, he reaches, the scientist reaches down and grabs the dirt and starts to, to mold it. And God laughs. He says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Get your own dirt. Oh. You see, God made from nothing. We create from something. Carl Sagan in, in the Cosmos series, I know he's totally on the opposite side of where we are, but he, he made a statement that is so profound for us to think about. I might chop it because I didn't write it down. He said this, you can't make an apple pie from scratch unless you invent the universe. You see, we can't make an apple pie from scratch because we didn't make the components to make an apple pie. And we can't recreate that because we aren't God. And I love that he said that because it totally fits in our camp and destroys the reason of not needing God. We need God, a God who created with his word something from nothing. Well, what else can we learn about this eternal God, the creator? What else is unavoidable? Well, number three is this. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Let's see, we got, what's, what's next there? David, hit me, uh, go with uh, Genesis 126, please. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We're made in God's image. And, and, and we're like, what does that mean? Does God look like me? No. Right, that's not, God isn't necessarily, God, God, the Father, isn't a person. Right, Jesus is a person. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, here, here are some things that we can attribute and, and compare with the likeness of God. Morality. We, we have a sense of judicial justice sense, right? We, we think this is right and this is wrong. This is okay and this shouldn't be okay. As far as the big things go, uh, people have degraded that and exchanged the truth of God for a lie for so many generations and centuries that, that we have come to this like, bare bones, murder's wrong, uh, pedoph pedophilia is wrong, these, rape is wrong, and, and everything else can be justified almost, right? But there is still a sense of morality and a, and a judicial sense out there that, that comes from God. Uh, there is an intellect, right? We, we can reason, we can think, we can ponder, we can try to explain things. And that, that's also a, a rationality thing. We, we can rationalize things and, and try, to, try to compute, right? That's, what, that's from God. 
There's a will. There's a desire, right? Ambition. That we, we desire to do this or to see this or to have this done or, or we want to operate in this manner. That, that's, that's will. That, that will is the same as what God has in his image. Emotions. Right? We, we can relate to one another and we have emotions and we're grieved or we're happy. We hurt or we rejoice. Things that God does. We have an aesthetic sense. See, God, God could have made ventilators and robots in his creation, right? But he made beautiful countrysides and oceans and lakes and trees and mountains and meadows and flowers and stars and planets. See, God has an aesthetic sense, right? He made T-bone steaks and shrimp. I mean, this is a good God. Amen, right? Or, I think, well, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Sorry. Yeah, you know, God, God has this aesthetic sense. And this, the, these parts of God's image are present in all people. Whether they want to admit it or whether they want to admit there's a God or not, they are present. I said this before, too. Atheists can't live consistently, consistently in atheism. Atheism would say that I'm just, I'm just a sum of my parts. I'm just a bunch of atoms and molecules put together. There is no sense of really right and wrong or, or uh, relational emotion. There's no sense of, of judicial uh, morality. It's all just what is and whatever becomes. But then they go and put their kids to bed and kiss them goodnight and say, I love you. And, and, and they cry when, when their loved ones get hurt. And when they lose a friend, they, they are, are in grief. And when something awesome happens, they rejoice. So they can't live consistently in that belief. And that's okay because they're created in the image of God. They're image bearers of God, whether they want to embrace God or not. And we, we, we see it all over. People trying to relate. People trying to, to claim the image of God, but doing it in a weird way and doing it in ways that, that are kind of more selfish. Uh, we see it all over the news right now. Tragedy after tragedy. We see causes show up, right? When a tragedy happens, then a cause shows up. A rally happens. We see these hashtags out there right now. Cop lives matter, right? We see black lives matter. All lives matter. Black lives don't matter if all lives matter. We see this going on and on and on. And, and, and there's tons of these, these issues that matter out there. And people are trying to justify what matters and say what really matters. But listen, we are created in the image of God. And people who are created in the image of God are unsure of what really matters, and what really matters is this. This is what the cause should be. Because we're created in the image of God, it should be an all-encompassing God's image matters. God's image matters. Now, stay with me on this. You want to know what it means to be made in the image of God? Here's what it means. It means that we, the images, have been created to image. We... The created images have been created to image. That you and I are a reflection of the, of the creator. That you and I are the masterpiece of the one who, who worked on us and is, is, is at work in us. That we are a reflection of God Almighty. When selfishness creeps in, that reflection goes away and it starts to look pretty marred. And you and I know that because we look at our, our, our life and we, we present ourselves before our friends and we know that they see something pretty messed up. But those times where we can say, you know what, God created me in his image. I want to love and serve him. It's not about black lives matter, white lives matter, cop lives matter. It's about God's image matters. And what people see in me and the way I act and treat other people 
it reveals and reflects on the creator of the universe. And that's the source. And people want to disregard that and deny that and go their own way, and they will. But what really matters is us reflecting the image of God because we are made in his image. God's creation displays God. In the beginning, God. Not Brandon, not my cause, not my pride, not my ego. In the beginning, God. And that same God created, and he created me in his image, and he created you in his image, that we would be image bearers of the king. And that when people see me, it's like they see a reflection, a mirror, pointing up to God. And it's, it's all they can talk about. It's all they can focus on. And it gets so bad and so blinding, they want to leave you and don't want to be around you anymore. Because you reflect something they don't want to see. God. We are made in God's image. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. Day after day, night after night, we are to display and to communicate with our lives that God is the creator, that we bring glory and honor to him. Amen? It's all about him, the creator. What else? Number four. This is something else that's unavoidable. Number four is this. We were made to worship the creator and not the creation. It's, and I want you to turn to Romans while I, while I talk here for a minute. It's Romans chapter 1. Uh, some, you know, we're all made in God's image. We're all image bearers of the king. But somewhere along line, those lines, we get kind of messed up. We get kind of prideful, and we start, to, we start to wander, don't we? We start to kind of wander off the path and say, well, but I want this, or I, or I want this. And, and I'm, I'm clouded with, with priority changes because the world says this is okay or acceptable or right, or my family says it's okay, or my family is pushing it to be okay. And in some way, I start to start to be less of an image bearer of God and more a presenter of selfish desire and pride and ego. And I guarantee you that's going to fall. But God, God allows us to do that. And I want us to, to see something about this because we were made to worship the creator, not the creation. But, man, the creation is so tempting, isn't it? The creation is so, so alluring. Romans chapter 1. Let's look at cha- chapter 1. I didn't turn there while I told you to. How, how bad is that? There we go. Romans chapter 1. We're looking at verse uh, 20 through 25. From the creation of the world, so from in the beginning, right? From in the beginning. His invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature. So, so God's quality uh, have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made. Okay, stop there for a minute. Creation, right, right, is to, the creation is to display the creator. Now, all of it around us does that. You and I even do that. I said the atheist is an image bearer of God, whether or not he believes in God or not. Creation shows off God. It goes on, it says, it's clearly seen being understood through what has been made. As a result, because God has shown himself through his creation, and he's revealed himself through his creation, and he's clearly seen through his creation. As a result, people are without excuse. Not one person can stand before God on judgment day and say, well, God, I just didn't know. I didn't have a chance. God will be like, really? You're an image bearer of me. Everything around you that I made is an image bearer of me. Everything around you points to me. No excuse. There's no 
excuse. God is drawing people to himself through creation. 21. For though they knew God, so though they had this idea and they knew, had the knowledge of God through his creation, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. I, I, want, I want to focus there. Their thinking became nonsense. Have you ever tried to reason with someone like this? They say something like, you want to say, can you hear what you're saying? And sometimes in conversation, I've got to the point where people can, like, oh, wow, I am saying that. That kind of sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it's nonsense. But people wanted to embrace nonsense, right? So for though they knew God, they did not glorify him uh, as God. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and senseless minds were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, claiming to be wise, claiming to have all the answers, claiming to know it all, they became fools, fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, uh, the birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over into the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be degraded among themselves. The verse 25, this is another underliner, right? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served something created instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's about the Creator, folks, not the creation. The creation cries out about the Creator. Now, I'm not against crystal shops, but holy cow, we got a, a, a ton of them in town. And they're set there because people worship the creation. Why can there be another crystal shop, and why does it, one of those other businesses go out? Because people want the creation. There's something mystical about it. There's something spe- special or supernatural about it. They have to have it. But really, it's empty. You and I were made to worship the creator and not the creation. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen? That's our role is to praise God forever, to glorify God forever. That is our role, our goal. So what's unavoidable? It's unavoidable to embrace Yahweh, the creator God, who made you in his image, in his likeness, for his purposes. It's unavoidable to, to, to not embrace him fully and say, God, you are God and I am not. And my life is not my own. I am yours. See, we are his creation. And what follows from creation, what follows in our lives, has to be founded in the fact that we are created in the image of God, of an infinite God, eternal God, complex God, Trinitarian God, that his glory might abound. We are his, and we are always meant to be his. Amen? All right. Let's stand up and pray together. God, you are so gracious and so good to us. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it brings life and gives us life. We thank you that you are the creator, and we can look to you as as sovereign, as good, as loving, as glorious. Help us to fulfill our role as, as creation that reflects your glory, reflects the creator. You're the creator, God, and, and we are the images made to reflect your image. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us hope. 
a hope in a good God. We praise it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, it's our opportunity to respond in worship to this great God, to, to give him our all. And, and listen, this, this idea of believing the gospel is our theme. You're like, well, where's the gospel in creation? Without the creation, there's, no, there's, no, there's none of us. And without us, next week we're going to find out how, how bad it really is and how big of a need we really have. And God, from the very beginning, from the very beginning of creation, and while Jesus and the Father and the Spirit were all together, said, let's do this. Let's start something that we can't stop. Let's start the gospel. And you and I, it's our role now to believe that. All right? So as we sing, whatever it is, if you if you're, need to pray, if you need prayer here, if you need to worship and celebrate, if you need to reflect, whatever it is, you respond as we sing. Let's sing.